You're busy. We get it. Listen on the go to Farm Journal Intel Podcast, the latest insights from our webinars and content streams to inform and inspire your way of life. Today we're presenting the webinar, The U.S. Beef Industry Assessing the Road Ahead. Here, Sterling Marketing President John Nalivka discusses with Drover's editor, Greg Henderson, the impact of COVID-19 on cattle and beef markets with an outlook for the remainder of 2020 and into next year. Hello, I'm Greg Henderson. I'm Editorial Director of Drovers, and I'm joined today by John Nalifka, President of Sterling Marketing, Vail, Oregon. John has been a regular contributor of beef industry research and economic information to Drovers for over 30 years. Today, we're going to discuss the economic and price outlook for the cattle and beef industry for the remainder of 2020 and a more long-term outlook into 2021. John, welcome to Farm Journal Field Days. We're going to jump right in here and recognize the impact of the cattle industry created by the coronavirus pandemic. And I'll let John begin by sharing his analysis. Uh, thank you, Greg. And first of all, you know, I do appreciate the opportunity to do this. And I also appreciate the opportunity to have built the working relationship that we've had between myself and, and, uh, and, and Drovers and Farm Journal over the last 30 years. And I think we've, we've built a pretty strong relationship together and it's, it's been very positive. As we look at the industry, I want to, I want to kind of start out today and, and, and really kind of jump into this, you know, this COVID situation and the meat supply. And, you know, obviously we saw as, as we got into April and, and May with these plants shutting down as they, and, and chain speed slowing significantly as, as, as packing plants put in place protocol to deal with COVID. And, and we saw the uh, tremendous slowdown and, and, you know, begin this somewhat to back up these cattle. So what I want to do is kind of talk about this whole idea of production potential versus available supply. You know, when the, when these plants were shutting down and, and, and closing for a week at a time or two weeks, and then, uh, and then slowing after they started back up again, as they had to, you know, deal with the COVID. And, and as everybody knows, these pa- packing plants, you know, there's pretty tight working space. People are close together. And that's the one thing that with COVID, of course, has been this whole idea of social distancing so we wouldn't spread the virus. So as they did that, I read repeatedly and, and was asked repeatedly about, well, are we going to run out of meat? Well, I think the idea came along. People were picking up the, you know, the general news media and seeing this headline, we're going to run out of meat and there's going to be tight meat supplies. And that was not, it was the case at the time, but it was a a case of a distribution and what was being produced because the packers were slowed down as these packers came back online. Then we saw that our real production potential was there as long as we could, we could process those cattle, and and distribute that su- supply to the retailers and 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 food service that part of food service that was still open which of course was the uh the takeout part on these qsr restaurants so what it points out and what i want to say is all aspects of the supply chain must be working and that was not the case in april and may and 
but it was not an issue of production potential. We can produce a lot of a lot of red meat and poultry in this country, and certainly as we come, these plants have come back online. We've shown that, so we didn't run out of meat. Is is uh, showing the next slide my my projections going forward for total beef, pork, and broiler production? It's not poultry production. I've just included broiler production. I did not include the turkey in this in this slide, but you can see that we're we're continuing to to produce, you know, plenty of meat. This year will be a little over, just or, or close, right around 100 billion pounds of beef, pork, and broiler broiler production. And next year we'll we'll add on to that and be up around, you know, around 101 billion, another billion pounds of that. But at the same time, it also demonstrates that as we as we are so good at producing meat. And in this country, we'll ha we have to find other other market market outlets, and of course, exports has has become an increasingly larger share of that, and certainly helps the the overall market prices. So you can see we'll we'll be continuing to expand our exports, with a large share of that obviously coming from pork, U.S. pork, going to going to China in the face of African swine fever and their shortage of, of pork over there, which is that situation will probably be with them for at least through the end of this year and through next year. So let's look and see where we came up and, and look at this overall slaughter, slaughter pattern as we got into April and, and the plant closures, you know, started to, started to, you know, become, you know, a big part of the industry. We dropped our, our weekly, you know, fed steer and heifer kills, you know, down to about close to 300,000 head where normally with just the just the fed cattle we we typically are running in that you know 500 to 550,000 head range and now we're back up operating right right close to that in our in our most recent slaughter data so it's we've we we made a pretty quick you know pretty rapid you know comeback as we got the plants back online with the with the protocol that was necessary to to manage covid in those plants, and and we're right back up to you know where we were last year in 2018. This, John, this this slide shows the disruption very well. Uh, the other thing I think we should note is that um, that red line there production was well above a year ago before the COVID disruption. Yeah, and that you know that's one thing, Greg. When I we talked about how many cattle were backlogged and you know so why those plants were closed down and cattle were standing in the feedlot we came into this in march with a significant increase in production over a year ago and so it's not like we were uh you know it's not like we we came in and and we had a lot of cattle we came in to begin with we came into the year with two percent more cattle on feed than we had the you know, the previous year, right. but we marketed those cattle in a pretty rapid fashion. And so when we, when the plants, you know, were closed in April, we'd already, you know, gone through quite a few of those cattle. And in fact, at the beginning of April, our on feed number, our on feed number on, on April one was down 5% from the prior year. And again, we came in to the year with 2% more cattle. And by the 1st of April, we were down, we were down almost six, well, nearly 6% from the prior year. So we were in, right. in relatively good shape numbers wise. And I think that's really key because, 
there is this issue of backlog and how many cattle do we need to work through that weren't slaughtered in April and May. Right. Okay. So if we now, now we convert that slaughter and let's look at look at let's, let's take a look at the you know our plant capacity utilization during that same period. Obviously, as we as we were in March, we were we were operating at 96, 97 percent of capacity of of our overall fed steer and heifer capacity in the country. And then as we dropped down, that number hit down to 55 to 60 percent in the face of those closures, and which we've not done that before. But you can see once again how rapidly we brought that brought that back up, and and you know it's interesting. I I put those holidays on these on these uh, on the where we draw in these on these dates where we dropped our slaughter into you know you know significantly. Well, those are all holidays, and and obviously we never these plants don't operate up to capacity during holidays, but. So on 4th of July, we were, you know, prior to 4th of July, we were running back up to about 91, 92%, dropped down for a week of 4th of July. And now we're, once again, we're operating right at 91, 90, or 92, 93%. <clears throat> that is the same capacity that we were operating at a year ago. Right. Yeah, on, on uh, breaking this out into cow slaughter, then our, our weekly cow slaughter as we came into the year was well above a year ago. We dropped down as we came into April, but you don't see that real large dip. So the impact was not nearly as great on the cow plants as it was on our, on our fed cattle plants. And, and we picked it right back up and, and, you know, really just, it was somewhat of a glitch in the, in the, in the system, but, but nothing that was, uh, you know, significant in terms of a really, you know, not, not slaughtering cattle like we did on the Fed side. <clears throat> our util utilization in our cow plants is running right at around 80, 80, 81% right now. And we came into the year operating these cow plants, you know, bumping, you know, 97, 98%. And that was largely because we were killing a lot of, slaughtering a lot of dairy cows and the, the beef cow slaughter was not as high, but our dairy cow slaughter was making up a, a large share of the overall, uh, you know, overall cow slaughter. And then as, and I'll show it as we get down here a little bit on, on another couple slides, but the, the dairy cow slaughter has now dropped way back and beef cow slaughter has picked up. Just, just to show kind of the difference, I'm, show where we where we've been on these hogs real quickly but you know we've we've certainly shown that we can raise hogs and produce pork just as just as well as we can with beef last year was the first year that that u.s pork production not only was it record but it exceeded u.s beef production for the first time ever and you can see where we uh we brought that brought that slaughter down again the same way as we did you know, with the with the cattle, as these as these hog plants were closed, and now we brought it right back up and and picked up the pace. I would I would point out, and there's probably quite a few people that would you know if if you watch this and understand it, but you know it's not quite the same when you close down hog you know hog pro pork processing plants and back up hogs in a feral to finish uh, situation. It, it really balls up the works and, and raises havoc with the system because 
with those feral to finish operations, pigs in, hogs out, and that's on a daily basis. And if hogs aren't going out, pigs can't come in onto the finishing floor, and you know it creates a, a major management situation. It's not like cattle that can stand in a feedlot and just continue to gain. And you know it's not that you want to make them, you know, big and as big as we've got them right now. But at the same time, they can they can stand and eat for you know you know two or three or more weeks. Whereas hogs, that simply does not happen. Right. Again, you can see the you know the utilization on these plants where we were you know up 98, 99% utilization in the in March. We produced a lot of red meat in March. I mean, we we not only it was the same story with the pork industry as it was the beef industry. We we certainly picked up the pace and and just produced a significant amount of red meat. So coming into April, the situation could have been a lot worse had we not had that really pretty rapid marketing pace going from about mid-February through March and right up into the beginning of April. So one thing I'd point out, and this is true across the industry, like I've made the statement there that while our slaughter capacity is back to normal, there continues to be a bottleneck in fabrication and further processing. That's true both in beef and pork. So as we look at the overall economics and in this COVID situation and moving going forward, again, there's this, you know, uh, so-called this backlog, and and I'm certainly not. I I thought the number was, you know, quite a lot less, probably about half of what it was. What other comments have been made about that, but at, at any rate, I think one thing is we like. Like I said, as we come into the first of July, the cattle on feed report last that came out last week pointed out that, you know, our beginning inventories at the 1st of July were down slightly from a year ago. And so, you know, that does, you know, kind of suggest to me that certainly we're not, we're not facing, you know, a, a significant backlog as we go through the summer, although there are, there's plenty of cattle, you know, it's not, it's, I'm not going to make light of that. But the other the other part of that issue is the weights, and our weights are record high and have been since the beginning of the year. Um, I'll look at I got another slide. I'll kind of comment on that more going forward. But at the end of the day, I think from the overall supply standpoint, I think when when we get by the time we get to the beginning of 2021, we'll see that we have further liquidated the cattle herd, and we have also slowed our herd expansion on the on the hog side. The other part of the equation, of course, is the demand side, and a lot rests on where, as where we go forward with the economy and the impact, you know, that COVID will has had and will continue to have on on the overall structure of our of our economy. And I have some real concerns over that, you know, beyond the you know the meat side of the business and the and the. You know, you know, there's a lot of restaurants that aren't going to open again. And the bottom line is, food service accounts for about 55% of our overall consumption of beef. And when you when you close restaurants, it can make a it, it can have a significant impact on on consumption patterns. Uh, the other part of the of the equation, of course, on the economy is people people's willingness and ability to to spend those dollars. 
And so far as we came into this, consumer demand was in what I consider to be very good shape, and uh, which is you know very very positive, and 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 one you know particularly positive aspect of of you know coming into COVID was the fact that people you know not only were able to buy beef they wanted to and the demand was strong the other part of course is the exports we continue to build our export market and i will take a look at that as well and then there's this whole issue of profitability which i I will take a look at so if you kind of sum up kind of where we're at with covid it's basically putting into one word has created a great deal of uncertainty and and it's not just it's not just the normal market uncertainty it's it's uncertainty, you know, with regard to people's behavior, our economy, and it's not just U.S., it's global. So it's affected everybody across the globe. And as we try to sort things out and where, where this will take us as we go down the road in the industry, you know, basically it's, it's assessing market risk. And I think it's become increasingly imperative that you know ranchers and and cattlemen in the beef industry you know you know really focus on on risk and and how they're going to you know you know manage that risk and and the decisions that they'll make in order to work through this you know, I deal with this whole issue of risk with clients on a daily basis largely in the you know packing processing and restaurant industries as well as uh private equity firms and banks and and I think it's just you know it's we talk risk every day and risk management and agriculture is risk so I think as we as we move through these these key drivers can people need to kind of start to create you know having more focus on some of this so if we take what I've kind of talked about in terms of that you know, slaughter and, and where we're at, if you take and put that in term into a per capita supply, which is the production plus imports minus exports, less cold storage and divide that by population, it gives you a number and gives you an idea how much available beef American consumers, how much beef American consumers have available to them on an annual basis. And if we take a look at that, you know, this year, that number will be just almost just about 58 pounds per person and you know which is down we go back to the early 2000 time frame and you know that's really not makes a nice chart but it's really not relevant anymore because we're not going back to that time i think the key thing on this chart that i that i like to you know people to really you know look at is that in 2015 we did have record prices and our and our overall beef supply was down to 54 pounds per person. We've raised that now through this current cyclical expansion cattle cycle by four pounds per person. And at the same time, the green line, obviously we've exported, you know, continued to expand our exports from that point in 2015 up to the current time frame. And at this end, we've also kind of leveled off where we are on the import on the import side. So that, that's kind of where we sit today. And next year, that number will be down almost a pound. You know, my the way I, you know, with my assumptions where I think we're where the industry's headed. So, you know, that, you know that kind of would strongly suggest you keep up the demand side. 
and everything holds together on that part of it, then it would suggest, you know, a fairly good price pattern as we go into uh, 2021. On the pork side, just uh, I think there was, you know, again, we, you know, I think it's, I know there's, you know, beef, beef producers watching this, but at the same time, it's, it's red meat and poultry production. That's what we have to clear the market in this country. So if you go back to 2014, we had record prices in 2014 for pork and, and hogs, and our consumption was down to 46 pounds, you know, per person at that, in that year. We've climbed, we've increased production pretty significantly. That, that was the result of PED. And we lost, basically lost one pig crop in that, in that process, or in that as a result of that virus. And so they've climbed back pretty rapidly, even from 2014 to 15, there was a pretty significant jump in production. And this year will be, our, our per capita supply will be just, you know, not too much different from beef. We did produce, again, we produced record pork production last year and the first time that we exceeded uh, beef production. Fortunately, we're taking a, a, a pretty, pretty significant share, about 25% of our, of our pork production is going into exports, and, and which is really positive. On the beef side, that number is roughly around 12 to 14 percent is 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 being exported. So cattle cycle, the three parts of the cycle: forage. Actually, the actually the cattle cycle is really is really the base for our decisions of our availability of forage. And this year, we we once again we went had a drought and and a pretty significant share of the of the. Uh, of the country where cattle are raised down, you know, in the, in the middle, you know, Colorado, Western Kansas going into Texas, Oklahoma, and, and certainly, and, and we've seen a little, some drought out here, but at the same time, a lot of this situation is, has improved now, but there was cattle being sold early because of the, there simply wasn't any forage. But if you, the other parts of the, of the, of the, the, the other key, Key components in this decision making with regard to liquidating or expanding herds, of course, is cattle prices, and not only current cattle prices, but expectations going forward. And I think all three of those have left somewhat people kind of not in not in very positive or not a very uh, you know positive mindset. So I think that I think that's why we picked up some. Obviously, some of this cow slaughter this year is picked up above a year ago, and we liquidated quite a few cows last year. So at the end of the day, again, we'll end up with the herd with the uh, herd declining into the beginning of next year. Cows and heifers, the two components of uh, of, of building a herd or or, liqu or li liquidating a herd. So while we've been you know, calling cows, we've also been, uh, our heifer slaughter has been up well above a year ago coming into this year. We're down this year about 5% from a year ago, year to date. But again, that's against a, a very large number last year. Our, our heifer slaughter through this date last year was the highest since 2011 
And again, we're down about 5%. We're about the highest since 2013 right now on, on heifer slaughter. Aside from the slaughter number, though, again, I come back to weights, and I cannot emphasize this enough. Our, our cumulative heifer carcass weights through, through the first half of July are up 26 pounds from a year ago. And while your, your numbers are down 5%, that 26-pound 26, 26 increase in carcass weights makes up a large share of that difference. And uh, it is you know, really significant that our carcass weights are where they're at today. Our steer slaughter is down 7% from a year ago. And, uh, I, you know, I got to say, I'm not going to, I won't dwell on it, but you have to be a little bit careful with all the numbers that come out on the reports. Those are surveyed numbers. The inventory numbers are surveyed and the cattle on feed numbers are surveyed. The slaughter numbers are not surveyed. That's actually the best number. Those are reported on a weekly basis. And those are, those are the best USDA reported numbers that we have are slaughter numbers. And at, at the end of the day, you can look at all the supply and all the inventory and the cat size of the cattle herd. But at the end of the day, it's the slaughter that really tells you how many cattle were available. So our steer slaughter is down 7%. That's not only down 7% last year. We're well under the, the uh, previous five-year average. And again, it's this weight issue. And these, while while we've dropped the available supply, that are going into the plant. The number of steers going into the plants, the, carc the carcasses are weighing well over a year ago, and are up about 32 pounds year to date over a year ago. With the last weekly data being up, you know, nearly about 40 pounds over a year ago. So there's plenty of the, the carcasses are big. And and what we what you know, however much we reduce the the cattle going in the plant, that's that's being offset to a large extent by not totally, but to a large extent by the by the carcass weights. So let's go back and talk about profitability at the bottom of the foundation of this industry, and that's in the in the cow calf sector, and where all the decisions are made as to whether we're going to expand the herd or we're going to liquidate it. I, I look at net cash operating margins. So this has no fixed component in it, and it's based on my, my estimate of an average operating cost to run a cow, and that is about $600 per head. That, that is, I think, fairly close to what Cattlefax's numbers show. That's not a, that's, I didn't take that from Cattlefax. That's my number based on you know, you know, quite a bit of uh, private consulting I've done with ranches on their on their budgets and their financial finances. So that would be about. I think I think we're all on the same page on that number. The the problem is not what the what what people are making as such. I think the problem, and I looked at this last year and decided this depicts a lot better where we're at against that 2014 net return record net return of over $500 per head. I didn't get a lot, I've not heard a lot of disagreement over that number of making $500 per, per head. But the problem was not is how much we've come down from that number since 2014. You set your expectations at a record, uh, record return and then 
for the next six years straight, that number's well down from well below that record. And I think that's what's caused a lot of the concern, a lot of the, you know, uh, you know, real issues in the industry. If you look at that, 1980 to 2019, and I took 2014 and 15 out of that number, the average return's been about $79 per head. So this year I've got, I've got the return being down about 90% from that 510 and hovering around $70, $75 per head with not a lot of improvement next year against that $500. I guess part of the story here is that, you know, it's, it's nice to have a record return, but it's not always feasible to go to the bank with that. So that's kind of where we're at. But I think it's, I think this, you know, that's the issue that's caused, you know, some of this herd liquidation here I think recently. it's important, John, here to point out that what you're saying is these are averages and yeah. some producers may be worse than that. Some producers may be better than that. Absolutely. And it's also important too, Greg, and I will, I, I need to say it is there is no such thing as an average ranch. So what I'm doing is showing an average operating cost, an average return against an industry that really doesn't have averages. Every, every ranch has its own set of circumstances that make it probably in a lot of cases unique from even the ranch down the road, let alone across the country. So I think that's really important. Here we are on, on beef cow slaughter. And again, we've got the highest beef cow slaughter year to date since 2013. We're up 4% from a year ago. Our last weekly slaughter beef, or beef cow slaughter numbers, which were for that week ending July 11th, are the highest since 2013. And uh, we're, we're, not only, we're not only within the realm of the 2010-2013 inventory liquidation, which sent us to a 60-year low, we're well above a year ago, and we're well above the, the uh, previous, previous uh, five-year average. So there, we are slaughtering beef cows. I would, I would say a little bit, a brief comment on the heifer situation, and I've talked to a lot of not only friends who, who, of mine who ranch, but also, you know, ranchers at, at meetings that I've talked to, and, and uh, but there are quite a few heifers being, I think, that are being retained, and while they're, they're calling into the herd deeper, they're also retaining more heifers, and, and I, I would add to that that I'm a, a big proponent of from a marketing perspective of managing these heifers because you have so many options. You background those, hold those heifer calves over after you wean them, background them, you know, quality heifers, you can, you can sell them if you want to and, and send them into a feedlot next April, or you can, you can hold on to them and, and, and breed them and sell them as a, as a bred heifer. We all know what bred heifers were worth back in 2014 and 15. They're certainly not anywhere near that today, but at the same time, that opportunity cost is down, and I think it just opens things up for for guys to really look at these, these heifers as being a you know a pretty good marketing opportunity and and creating that value with those heifers and and then capturing the value. So our dairy cow slaughter was down three percent, 
and that is the lowest we've had the lowest percentage of dairy cows in the cow slaughter mix since 2011 we're running around 41 percent typically that number would be around 48 to 50 percent so as we came into the year uh we, we came in with you know well under a year ago when we had you know very high dairy cow slaughter and the highest since 1984 because of low low milk prices negative returns to dairymen we came into the year with our with that class 3 milk price which basically class 3 milk goes into cheese production so we came in at $17 then that price fell to $13 and you see that line or how we had the early early in april we had the we had the highest weekly dairy cow slaughter since 1984 this year as we came into april when we when we took that class three milk price and looking out to the futures and the and the, the class three futures were jumping in june and august and now and it ranged 21 to 24 dollars you see that dairy cow slaughter just fall significantly with the outlook on those milk prices and therefore, by the time we got to that weekend in July 11th, we had the lowest weekly dairy cow slaughter since 2009. So the total mix has flipped from where we were at the beginning of the year. Dairy cow slaughter's fallen significantly, beef cow slaughter's increased. So again, that I, my estimate of our inventories, we come into the beginning of next year would be down nearly 2%. And I think that's, uh, you know, again, I, I, you know, not to simplify things, but at the end of the day, it's the calf crop that's that's really important. Look at those calf crop number because it's the calf crop that makes up your your the largest share of your your uh, beef supply going into the end of the next year. I I can't emphasize enough the importance of uh, of how efficient this industry is and. This chart shows with beef production on the blue line and, and the cattle inventory. Again, the cattle inventory will drop about 2%. Our beef production will be down, you know, a, a small amount next year. And, and so as we look at that, I've got beef production actually down next year, just close to being even and only down slightly. But if you look at look at where we were last year in 2019, we had record beef production, and we had 42 42 million fewer cattle than we had in 1975. And in 1975, with 42 million head of cattle, we produced three and a half billion pounds less beef than we did last year with that record. So I think that's significant. I think it's something that. You know, we take grass in this country and turn it into a, a quality consumable beef product mm -hmm. and uh, that's in, in demand globally. And we do it in a very, very efficient manner. And I think that, that that shows the improvements in genetics and management of our industry uh, over the last 30 years. Yes. And, 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 it's, and it's across the industry too, Greg. It's, you know, obviously, we're we're our cattle feeding picked up, and as you look, you know, you look at that chart when those lines, when that when that production line started increasing significantly back in the in the mid to, mid to late '60s. That's when cattle feeding, you know, feedlot the feedlot industry, cattle feeding industry really really came into its own. And uh, but but we've 
through management and genetics of the cattle, and that's management both at the ranch level and in the in the uh, in the feedlots, and it it shows pretty, you know, pretty, uh, you know, significantly how what that's done to the industry. This is just where the pack and plants are located. I don't want to dwell on this on this, uh, you know, as we talk about where we're headed, but. I would make the statement, as you can see, most of the packing plants are congregated or located in the in the center of the country. That's where the cattle are at. And but I think where we're headed, probably following this COVID situation, I don't see things changing in terms of the protocol we put in place. And I think there's going to be there's a lot of planning, a lot of a lot of discussion, and a lot of conversation going on as to you know, you know how much how much and how will the industry change structurally and how much and i think one thing is that we're going to have to take a uh, you know really serious look at at uh you know plant operations and and how to avoid you know have have a plant design so we avoid the next uh virus that'll come along so that may mean instead of Instead of a plant, one plant slaughtering 6,000 head or 8,000 head, that, that may be one plant slaughtering, two plants each slaughtering 3,000 head. And, and with, with all those protocols in place, the spacing and, and, uh, and the spacing of the people in the plant. We can slaughter about 29 million, a little over 29 million fed cattle annually. And that's been our capacity for about the last four years. And if you look at our utilization of that, this year we'll average about 88%. We'll average about 88% next year, and that's against last year. So you can see, you know, we hover right around that 90%. 90% utilization, capacity utilization is really, you have to be at least hovering in that, close to that upper 80s, 90% for the economics i i will point out that economies of scale and i i will i say this often and and i say it loudly economies of scale and is a, is an extremely important economic aspect in the packing industry and it's why we've consolidated this industry into the four largest firms slaughtering about 80% of the cattle in the country. It's because of, because of the economics and that driver of economies of scale, of uh, reducing your, your per unit fixed costs by increasing your, your uh, scale of operations, that it's, it, is a, it has just been the driver of the industry, and that's where we're at today. And, and you know, again, you know, we may see some changes because of COVID, but it, that doesn't change the fact that economies of scale is still key in this industry. Well, you know, we're also seeing it somewhat in the, over the entire industry too, as well as in the, you know, not only in the packing industry, but also in the in the feeding feeding sector and the, and the cow calf sector. This 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 slide is maybe the most important slide that I've put in this entire deck. And what it represents is the percent of the cattle that are grading choice or higher on a weekly basis. And 
it is the I I look at this beef quality issue as being the crucial demand driver. If you produce quality, people will purchase that product, and they will like it, and they will come back and buy more. And that is the one thing. If you want to assure a, a customer returning, it's it's that they had a quality experience, and the next time they had a quality experience, and pretty soon it's not. It's, you've raised their ex, you've not only raised their expectations, but you've also told them you can have a quality experience every time you buy that steak. And right now, since the beginning of this year, we're averaging about uh, nearly 87% of the cattle grading choice or higher. We've never had, we've, we have not had a week since the beginning of the year that it was under 86%, and there's been weeks when it's been higher, obviously. Our 2015-2019 previous five-year average was 82%. The significance of that is that's 82% against, that's nearly 10 percentage points above where we were from 2009 to 2014. This is, this is, this is something the industry can pat itself on the back. This is genetics, it's management, and it's paying premiums for the right cattle, for the right market, and people have, have obviously reacted to those premiums and made decisions accordingly and they've made the investment in those genetics to assure that every time that steer goes into that packing plant that it's going to grade uh, you know in the upper two-thirds of choice or higher so I, I just can't emphasize that enough weights again I make a big issue about weights uh, we, again, we came into this year with weights well above a year ago. We've had, we have had record weights every, every, year, every week of this year since we came into the year. The green line is last year. The red line is this year. So it wasn't just the closure of packing plants that, that caused weights to increase. But we started increasing weights in October, the first week of October last fall. And, you know, that was an article I, I wrote for Drovers last week. It was in, or it was in this week, I guess, Greg. And, and I think that's something that, that needs to be, people need to recognize that and not just, you know, know that these weights didn't just come up because we were closing packing plants. They, we came into the year with very heavy weights and it was a concern of mine when we came into the year. Now, I would say the positive parts of, the, of those heavy cattle is back to this slide. You'll have, you have more cattle that grade, grade better, you know, obviously with the, with, when they're big and, and those carcasses are big. But at the same time, that also leads to more production and you, you have to have more of that production clear the market. If consumer demand is strong and people are willing to pay more for more beef production as long as it's quality, I'm good with that. That's all fine. But, but you can get into a problem, and, and we're seeing it right now. The cutout is running right around 202, and a year ago at this time, it was about 213. So we've, we've seen a drop, a decline in, in wholesale beef prices, and, and a lot of that is the production that's on the market. So for 2020, we're up 30. Overall, these, these weights are a combined steer and heifer carcass weight. that I, it's, it's a weighted average that I that I put together a calculation where we're up 30 pounds and in 2019 for the same period we were down four pounds so you can just see where we're 
where, where we land with that. Prices. In, uh, in March, our, our cutout was running around 210. It kind of, it kind of, in this, again, this is a beef cutout value that I have combined. It's a weighted average combination of both of the choice and select based on the number of choice and select cattle in the mix. But, uh, we were running around two, two twelve, two fifteen. We jumped that up fifty one percent as as we closed plants. Demand picked up. People went somewhat into panic mode. Ran down to the meat case. They bought a freezer on the way down, and then they got to the meat case and they bought enough meat to fill the freezer. And off we go to the races. And we had a surge in prices, which brought us up to a, a record record beef price of of that cutout value of right around 460. So in a relatively short period of time, in about six weeks, we ran that price up 51%. In the same amount of time, we've taken it down 56% as we've normalized our kills and these record weights. So what goes up can also come down just as quickly. And I think that this chart shows that pretty dramatically. And uh, I know there was a lot of conversation back in late May and coming into June that, my gosh, these prices are, could stay this way for a long time. Well, no, and there's, there's plenty of us that didn't think they would, and they didn't. So I guess I should say one thing on the cutout. I've got the cutout. If we reduce, if, if we reduce the supply coming into or into the second half of next year, I, I think the supply, when we, we've got these cattle that didn't go in the feedlot in April and May with our placements down over 20%, they went out to grass. Those cattle are now coming into the feedlot and will come into the feedlot over the next uh, 60 days, at least 60, 90 days. Those cattle then, we've, we've created another, another supply this, this pretty significant, which I think will go from beginning the end of the, beginning at the end of this year, going into the first at least the first quarter of next year. We'll have to work through those supplies, and it's likely to pressure the cutout, you know, some. But again, it's it's the weights. So the the numbers are one thing, but then. Uh, slaughter times weight equals production. So we'll see where we are on weights. And potentially, if we carry these weights into next year, and with that relatively high slaughter during the first quarter, then we'll have a, quite a bit of beef production to work through. The positive and the upside to that is we go into the second half of next year, and, and if we reduce the herd as much as I believe we have, and, and a smaller calf crop, then that'll send us, then that'll give us the numbers next year will be down, you know, quite a bit during the second half of next year, which will be supported to prices and they'll support the cutout and the live cattle prices. Let's look at the other big equation and that's or the other big uh, factor in this overall price and market equation, of course, is the export side. While in May we were down, we dropped pretty, pretty sharply and we're down 31%. But we didn't. The value of that of that beef that we exported in May, 
it didn't drop anywhere near as much. Our our fresh chilled and frozen beef, the value of that beef was only down five percent, and and the variety meats were only down six percent. So, you know, it was it was a pretty sharp drop. And again, I think we will continue to see the impact as we go into through this year of our new agreement with Japan and our reworked agreement with South Korea. I, I don't think, and I've got a slide to show it, I simply don't think that we're going to see a big uptick and a huge surge in, in U.S. beef going to China. I think that's going to be continue to be largely on uh, U.S. pork. So I think this year our beef exports will be down 4% from last year. We're still, you know, very, 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 very high U.S. beef export numbers. Or, yeah, excuse me, we were down 4% last year. I think we'll be down 2% this year. About 88% of our U.S. beef that is exported goes to these six countries, Japan, South Korea, Mexico, Canada, Taiwan, and Hong Kong. And, you know, year to date, we're, our U.S. beef exports to Japan are up 11% from a year ago. So we have offset our drop last year in, in U.S. beef exports going into Japan. We're about even with our going into South Korea. We're down on our beef exports going to Mexico, but this was prior to, this was for May, this is through May, which would be the most recent data that came out on the, on the July trade report. And, you know, in the, the new, the USMCA, the NAFTA number two went into effect on July 1. I'm very positive about the impact that's going to going to have, and I and I think that is the one thing that will, uh, you know, continue to grow our export business, is is our agreement with with Canada and Mexico for the USMCA agreement. I think we're we will continue to expand our U.S. beef exports to Japan, as well as into Taiwan and uh, and I think the, the Hong Kong situation got. I guess a little dicey might might be a might be a nice way to say it, but we're up. You know, that, I think that's that's really uncertain now, given the situation in Hong Kong. But Canada, we were we were up year to date. We're up 15% on our U.S. beef exports to Canada. I think we'll turn the we'll we'll change and we'll see a, a an increase. We'll start to pick up our export business going into Mexico. And so I'm, I'm very positive on the export side. You can see the, our exports to Japan are 31% of the total. That, that is nearly the same number as our U.S. pork exports to China are 31%. Our U.S. beef exports to Japan are 31% of the total. So I think that's it's kind of an interesting you know, comparison, but it certainly shows in terms of of how much we're sending to China, it's about 1% of the total. And though we're up 65% over, over the prior year, January through May, it's still only 1% of the total. And we have to remember that most of the beef that's going into China right now is coming from South America, Brazil, Uruguay, uh, Argentina, as well as Australia, New Zealand. So, uh, you know, that's, that's just the way it's going to be. And 
so we need to focus on where we can increase our business the most, and that happens to be Japan. That's all I have, Greg. Any questions? Absolutely, John. You've gone through that now, and um, I think what producers want to know is is what's that going to do to prices? Um, basically, your analysis is that the disruption, which was a major disruption, and and a point that we have not touched on yet is that uh, after this disruption, the feeder cattle and calf prices have rebounded fairly well. And in fact, the summer uh, video auctions have shown those feeder cattle prices were pretty strong. So uh, here we are ahead of the fall run, and and uh, we'd like to get your take on on what it means specifically to prices uh, and your projections. Well, I think where we're at on our on our in terms of the feeder cattle and those big cattle, you know, we came back up and we're hovering around 140 after falling all the way back under a dollar 20. You know, as a result of the uh, you know. April and May plant closures and, and all the uncertainty. So now we're back covering around that or the end higher. I mean, you know, dollar forty is fairly solid number. I, I think we'll continue on that same path. And and I think as we go into next year, I think we'll, you know, continue to see this support on these on these feeder cattle prices. And I think it's an, again, it's a number situation. And if we look liquidated the herd by nearly two percent then you know the numbers are going to be down and as long as we have the the demand continuing to expand our exports and and maintain the demand we have here i think we'll you know we've we've lost interestingly enough my my projection for the entire year is that our our feeder cattle these you know seven and a half to eight weight cattle will be down seven percent in price this year but i think we're going to regain all that back next year and kind of be back to where we were in in 2000, 2019 uh, from, from the standpoint of an average price of kind of hovering in that mid to upper 140s area on those big cattle. I think on the calves, I think the same thing on these on these calves. We lost about 7% on these five and a half to six weight steer calves and the same amount on the four and a half to five weight calves. I think we're going to continue to, you know, put support into those into those prices and i think on those four and a half to five weight calves i i think we'll be at you know in the low to mid 170s as we go into the into the fall when these calves are weaned and and uh but again we'll be down six percent if we continue to maintain that price going into you know that that trend going into 2021 with with you know tighter numbers then that'll that will regain that seven percent loss in market value that we lost this year. We'll regain that next year, and I see these steer calves averaging around a dollar eighty for the year next year, and pushing certainly up into that low one eighties next fall again for this year's for next year's calf crop. So I'm I'm pretty positive. I think on the so on the heifers, Greg, it'll be the same same story on these on these heifer calves. John, John, thank you. We're we're out of time. Appreciate your analysis and uh, uh, outlook for the cattle industry. And uh, welcome to Farm Journal Field Days. Uh, thank you very much, John, for your time. Thank you, Greg. Looking for more great insights and education. 
Visit agweb.com slash field days on demand for more content from Farm Journal Field Days.